Science is real from the Big Bang to DNA. Science is real from evolution to the Milky Way. You're listening to the Science at the Local podcast with me, Hamish Clark. Today's episode of Science at the Local features an interview with marine geoscientist Anna Bila Consejo. I began by asking Anna a very important question about marine geoscientists. So you're a marine geoscientist? Yes, I am. Are you mostly marine or mostly geoscience or both? Mostly marine. Mostly marine. I, uh, my PhD was in oceanography, so I have done a bit of both. So um, one of the things that when I was looking a bit at your CV and your websites at the Sydney Uni webpage, um, it reminded me a bit of fire, and that it's, which is my research area, in that it's extremely multidisciplinary. There's a lot of different uh, research methods, a lot of different uh, fields that come together when you're studying kind of coastal systems and marine systems. Uh, was that something that interests you, or that you like, or was it kind of unintentional that it worked out that way? No, I guess it was. Um, it is part of it. It's uh, very multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary, I believe different I'm learning but uh, but yes the ocean is, is is everything so and I think the, the the only way to tackle the problems the research problems that we have with the with the ocean and the coast is to look at them in a multidisciplinary point of view so so um, is that ever an issue in terms of your academic home uh, is that when you're applying for grants, are you always sitting in the marine section or are you sometimes in the geoscience section or does it move around? It is, it is, it is a bit of an issue. Like uh, I have had um, grants um, in engineering, I have had grants in geosciences mm. oh, okay. and uh, in marine science. and uh, So it is a bit of an issue actually, yeah. And so do you kind of tailor the application then based on who you think might be reviewing it or...? Who might be more receptive to those ideas? Yes, I mean, we, so, it's more like, uh, what is the strongest part mm -hmm, of the mm -hmm, of the application? Mm -hmm. So if the strongest part is um, geosciences, then we go into geosciences. If the strongest part, sometimes it's hard, because sometimes it's uh, so interdisciplinary that mm -hmm. uh, we cannot really choose one part. And then when, as you know, when you go with, ARC and you need to choose the four codes, mm, mm. you know that um, you're starting on a, on a weak point there. Do you think things are changing at all in terms of supporting interdisciplinary science or do we still have a long way to go? Um, I think we have a long, a long way to go. The intention mm. is there. Mm. We all know it's important. Mm. But um, it is hard when you have to, one of the fields that you need to put in, in your application mm. is which field of research mm -hmm. you are going to. Mm -hmm. So that yeah. makes it harder. Yeah. 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 So, um, so how did you get into the area? You said your PhD was in um, oceanography. Was that something yeah. you always wanted to do throughout your undergrad or even high school days? Well, um, I am a very stubborn person. I decided uh, when I was 11 years old, oh. I saw a book that uh, my sister or one of my cousins had about careers, and I saw that uh, you could be a marine scientist, and mm. I decided then wow. that that's what I was going to do. I was going to study the ocean. I was going to study waves mm -hmm. and so on. I didn't look at the coasts at the time. That came mm -hmm. later. Okay. 
but um but i i, I really wanted to study the ocean and um in fact is um I, I told everyone all my life, and then the day before enrolling at university, I had uh, very good marks in my in, in my um, in my high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and I told my parents, you know what? Um, maybe this thing of marine science might not work for me. I am just going to go and study medicine. Ah. And my parents, who are very conservative, uh-huh. um, surprised me, and they said, look, Anna. You have been telling us and everyone that you're going to do marine science, and this is clearly what your passion is. We wow. do not think it's a good idea for you to now change into something that you might or might not like, yeah. like but it's not your passion. It's like, well, okay. Interesting. It Thank is you. interesting. Thank you, parents. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I do. I think now they regret. Now that I'm living in the other side of the world, I mm. think they regret. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't realize it could take you away on those ocean currents to, to somewhere else. Exactly, yeah. Um, well, it is obviously a very international kind of job. Was that ever part of the appeal for you, or was it um, mostly just about studying oceans and, and waves and things like that? I think uh, I think in that sense, um, it's been kind of um, bifurcations in life or mm-hmm. accidents. Mm-hmm. When you apply for a job and you get it, it's like, ah, oh, because I'm originally from Spain mm-hmm. and I did my PhD in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And so I just applied for the PhD and uh, and got it. And so mm. it's like, yeah, I'm moving to Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> and then I met my husband, who is Australian. But ah, he was, okay. yeah, but he, he was, was in living, Portugal. No, no, he was oh. living in the UK at ah, the time. Yeah. And uh, he moved to Portugal ah. um, after he finished his work in mm-hmm. the UK. And then it was my turn to move with mm-hmm. him. <laughs> and uh, he chose Australia. Here we are. Ah. We years and 12 years later we're still here okay and so do you have kids here or are you settled down well nothing is definite in (laughs) life i do have two kids i have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old boy Mm -hmm. and they're both um australian they're also Mm -hmm. spanish but uh, (laughs) they live here they grow up here and Mm. i think it is a fantastic place to to live and Mm. to raise kids i have Mm -hmm. to say but you, you haven't made any deals where in, in X number of years you get to go to a place of your choosing? No, 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 no. We don't we don't, we don't do that quick pro quo uh-huh, kind of. Uh-huh. Like, if it happens, it happens. Mm. I think uh, I'm very happy here. I really like my job mm-hmm. and I have a fantastic job that mm. I enjoy. Um, you, you live somewhere near the ocean, perhaps? Does that help? Of course. <laughs> of course. I wouldn't live anywhere else in Sydney. You yes. know, if I want inner city living um i think europe has better choices mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, i think nothing beats uh living next to the ocean in sydney it's just amazing it's pretty yeah. nice yeah well we've been uh, sweltering here i'm recording from the the blue mountains and it's more mm-hmm. western sydney than blue mountains in terms of the the climate and yeah the well, 40 degree day was quite painful yesterday uh, i'm guessing it was yeah. a few degrees lower there and maybe a bit of a sea breeze in the afternoon I think it was at least 10 degrees lower here. Mm, wow. No, I don't yeah. want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go into into work, so I went to Sydney Uni and it was yes. 13 degrees there. Yeah, okay. But then when I came back home in the afternoon, mm. like this, this just... Yeah, so, yeah. Let's change the topic quickly before I yep. <laughs> become too sad. So you, your, uh, your research has evolved over time. You said you didn't start off in coast, but you're doing a lot of coastal stuff now tidal inlets and 
blood type yeah. deltas. How did that happen? Yeah, so um, when I did my undergrad studies, so this is where the multidisciplinarity started. So the degree I did was marine science, was five years, and we did everything from chemistry, which I hated, uh, physics, uh, geology, and so on. And then is when I discovered that uh, I could put my two loves together, you know, get the ocean and the beach and so on. So I started my coastal studies there. Yes, I did a master's thesis looking at uh, estuarine beaches in the northwest of Spain. And then I looked at uh, tidal inlet processes in southern Portugal for my PhD. And then when I moved here, I moved here um, without a job. And I started uh, collaborating with uh, Andy Short from Sydney Uni, which was a bit of a dream, I have to say, because I have read all of his work and so on. And uh, so with him and, um, and other people, we wrote um, a project, an IRC project that had a postdoc for me on Linnets. And that was a successful project. And I got my um, first postdoc here. Now, the, the, the funny thing about that is it's a bit uh, lost in translation. So when you speak about tidal inlets in Europe or the States, you refer to the mouth of the yeah, just to the inlet mouth and to the big currents that you have there and so on. But as I discover here in Australia, when you speak of tidal inlets, you speak of the entire estuary. Ah. And so Suddenly, I was uh, thrown into a project about estuarine dynamics and so mm -hmm. on, which was really interesting. Mm -hmm. but, um, quite a bit surprising. of a change. A bit of a change. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess you're constantly learning on the job as a scientist, but um, yes. that was maybe a yes. bit unexpected. Yes, that was unexpected. And then um, a few years later, there was a, a new person coming to work with us at Sydney Uni. And uh, he's uh, Jody Webster, he's a um, coral reef um, geologist. And so we started talking together about how he was interpreting some of the sandy deposits in his samples, in his cores. And uh, we realized that there was really a gap in the knowledge there on the sediment transport and um, how, how water moves the sand and how it accumulates and so on in coral reefs. And uh, so I wrote uh, my ARC future fellowship on that topic, and that supported. And so it was a big change again. And um, and also doing, I'm still doing lots of work on temperate beaches, on estuarine beaches. We have a monitoring program. We're looking at changes in the beaches from Bondi to Morubra. Okay. So yeah. you're forced to do a lot of sampling at the, those beaches just to, to check them out. Someone has to do it, yeah? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, as you get old in academia, you get to go less <laughs> to the field. So now it's um, my students that... Um, yes, your field work becomes uh, committees and meetings and things like that. Um, that's unfortunate, but yes. yes. How, how possible is it to resist that kind of thing? Because I, I see it around me. There's people who mm. uh, seem to inexorably slide towards... a. Uh, administration role um, and even though they love the research they've just got their hands full supervising and sitting on committees and things like that is it possible to insulate yourself a little bit or is it not really mm, I think I think there is a time for everything so mm. at the moment 
I try to be quite um, rigorous mm -hmm. about leaving time for my research because mm -hmm. this is what makes me happy mm -hmm. of my mm -hmm. of my job. I, I do love teaching as well, and it's yep. really rewarding. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I teach in one semester, and then the other semester okay. is research. Yeah. And uh, during the entire year, I block out entire days just for research because it's what uh, keeps me sane. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> About engaging in administration, that's a funny one. So I always have tried not to get involved in administration, mm. but I guess also a consequence of growing old and, and wise, I want to think, <laughs> is that uh, the, only, the only way to have changes happening is if you actually engage in sure. that process. Sure. Yep. So... I'm still picky about what I join, mm -hmm. but uh, sometimes, you know, you have to do it and uh, it's, it's necessary. Mm -hmm. And if you want to affect change, mm -hmm. you actually want to improve things or try to improve things, mm -hmm. you need to engage. Yeah. Oh, that's a great message for, for scientists, I think. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'm an early career researcher technically, even though I've worked in, in the science field broadly for a while. I only finished my PhD in 2015. But um, I, I do hear a lot about um, scientists, uh, early career scientists, trying to figure out how to divvy their time up and how to to do mm -hmm. those service requirements and administration requirements without. Uh, it seems like they sometimes can be an easy target for let's let's get you on these committees and those committees. I guess you yeah. just figure it out as you go. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important to be very uh, self-disciplined mm -hmm. and just say like, okay, Friday is my research day, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I'm just going to do this and, and not just put in your calendar research day, just say, mm -hmm. I'm going to look at this data or write the methods of this paper mm -hmm. or do like that. So I do it that way. I have heard and I'm willing to learn about another method as well that is like taking advantage of small gaps mm -hmm. because quite often you have an hour yes. in between meetings or yes. in between lectures and you think like, oh, I have nothing to do here. I'm just going to answer a few emails. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, like, if you're on top of the literature, you could actually write the methods mm. of paper mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. a skeleton of a discussion, you know. Mm -hmm. in, in I haven't managed to do it, but I'm okay, but it's something a, it's that some I want people. to learn. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. constantly fascinating hearing those productivity tips from uh, from researchers and academics, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so how do you find uh, the general public um, uh, views or understands the research that you do? Do you find that there's an interest because most people can relate to the ocean, um, but they don't really understand the processes? Or what's your been, experience been there? Uh, well, um, my experience there, so in the project that I said that I had in, in Estuaries was in Port Stephens. Mm -hmm. And that we were very involved with the local community there. Okay, we went great. there and gave talks and explained what we were doing and what was happening. Mm -hmm. um, they were really appreciative of us going there and they were especially appreciative that we never promised that we were going to fix the ocean mm -hmm, in each mm -hmm. sample, mm -hmm. but we were going to analyze what was causing it and how we can manage it better. Mm -hmm. So they were very appreciative there. In terms of uh, other work, I think that what I do, people relate to, mm -hmm. but it's not super charismatic, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, Every time I speak with people and uh, part of a multidisciplinary team, mm. people get mesmerized with seagrass. Sure. 
Sure. Or with uh, corals Coral. or the bleaching yep. and so on. You know, mm -hmm. and the bleaching is very important for my work too, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. as corals bleach and degrade, they dissipate less waves. Mm -hmm. So okay. it is also an important part, but we always keep on going to the, let's say, charismatic part yes, of it. So sure. biologists, biologists in general complain about uh, people only focusing on the charismatic megafauna. Yep, the big cuddly koalas uh, and things like that. Exactly. Mm. Well, I think that uh, geomorphologists, we complain that people focus on anything but sand. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, I appreciate the efforts you're making today and in, and in general on that front. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, I noticed that you're involved in something called One Tree Island Research Station. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so One Tree Island Research Station is a small uh, research station mm -hmm. in the southern part of the Great Barrier Reef. Mm -hmm. It is amazing. It's, um, is there really only the... one tree on the island? No, no. I was surprised too. There are, there are like thousands and it's oh. such a tiny island. Is it one type of tree? or? <laughs> No, apparently when, I think it was James Cook, I might be wrong in this mm -hmm. one, uh, when they saw the island from far away, mm -hmm. the canopies are so close close together that it looked like just one tree. <laughs> right. Yeah. The name so was recorded forever. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a very small key. It's, a, it's the only research station in the Great Barrier Reef that does not have anything else on the island. Okay. So it's very pristine. Right. Um, it's just amazing. It's an amazing place. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's managed by the University of Sydney, and I was the director for a while. Mm -hmm. Now I am the deputy director, which is mm -hmm. a lot easier. Job. Okay. So do you still go up there sometimes? <laughs> yeah, I go there for my research about uh, once or twice a year. Okay. Does the family uh, get to come with you? No, no, <laughs> unfortunately, you need a research permit. Okay. Oh, I guess it's good that they're controlling who's who's coming to the island. Yeah, yeah, you, can't, you cannot go otherwise. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, in any case, I couldn't take any kids with me below 12 years. Mm -hmm. So um, my eight-year-old son is very grumpy about it. <laughs> Four <laughs> years to wait, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you're also involved in something called Spanish researchers in the Australia Pacific, something along yes. those lines. How did yes. you get involved in that? Well, um, this is something that came along because the researchers that um, the Spanish researchers in the UK and in the US were getting organized and we decided to give it a go. Mm -hmm. We are a, a small group, uh, much smaller than in the UK or the mm -hmm. US, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's very active. And mm -hmm. uh, so the idea is to network between us, mm -hmm. help each other, like uh, navigating the system here mm -hmm. and so on. But also we want to um, change a little bit the the stereotype of the Spanish person with the fiesta and the siesta. <laughs> and uh, so we do quite a lot of uh, events of uh, outreach okay. and dissemination. Okay, getting and, people to know a bit more about the reality of, of uh, Spanish people and Spanish scientists. Yeah. Yeah, and we do um, one once per year. We do a bigger event, which is um, multidisciplinary. And mm -hmm. so, for example, this year was about uh, air. Mm -hmm. Last year was light, and okay. three years ago was uh, water, mm -hmm. which I organized. Okay. And it's, it's it's really interesting because we get artists and um, Great. humanities, science, engineering, industry, and so on, all about the same elements. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this next year is going to be Earth. Ah, so, 
Well, when yeah. fire comes up, uh, I might have to call you and ask if I can come along. Okay, okay. I will, I will write a note. I will put well, maybe we can uh, promote it on our Facebook page and on our Twitter. That sounds like a great, a, yeah. a great thing to do. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Um, we're running out of time, but I wanted to also ask you, you're, um, uh, I guess, a champion or supporter of women in science. And mm -hmm. uh, it's something that the EMCR forum that I'm involved in uh, has done a lot of, yeah. of work on. So this is um, an early and mid-career researcher group that's looking to kind of promote uh, career stability and, and progress on important issues to young scientists. And yeah. gender equity and support of women in science is a huge one. I was just wondering whether you can share a little bit of, of your thoughts on, uh, on how you see things now and, and the kind of things that you, you would like to see or you're involved in. Yeah, so we created uh, an, an international network women in coastal geosciences and engineering. And uh, we launched it in 2016 in March. Um, we already have uh, about 300 members from all over the world. And uh, we, ha we, we have been gathering in this first year the hard data about what the problems are. I mean, basically this started because a group of us that uh, knew each other more or less um, we had been reflecting on the all-male-dominated panels, uh, lack of women representation, and so on. And also, because I have been doing this uh, for about 20 years now, and I have met so many amazing uh, women scientists in conferences, and you see them for a few years, and then they disappear. You never see them again. That doesn't happen as often with the, with the men. And so... Um, we decided that something needed to be done. I mean, the other thing is, since I started 20 years ago, people have been telling me, you're so lucky to start now, Anna, because things are changing. It's really, really good now for women in science. And the reality is that in the last 20 years, not much has changed. And so we really need to take steps to, to do that. So what we do with this network is first, we have gathered the hard data and uh, we are in the process of publishing a paper about that with, uh, with data and statistics and so on. And then we are also engaging with conference organizers, uh, like if they have already published an all-male keynote, for example, we contact them and say like, hey, we noticed this, we will be happy to help you finding an extra keynote if you are agreeable. Or we are also trying to contact them early, you know, saying like, hey, Let's, let's try to get some balance here. And uh, so we are promoting women in science because in one of the things of the committee is that we are not putting ourselves forward as keynotes. We are always finding other, other, other people. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. But uh, we are uh, promoting women and celebrating women. And hopefully things, I think things will change this way because we're actually doing the change. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, can you think of any uh, uh, places in the world or, or disciplines or, or anything that seem to be leading the way, in, in your opinion? Is anyone doing things better or um, changing more? Or? Uh, I think, it's, um, I think it's, it's, there are some very good examples of small groups here and there that are doing the, the right things. I think uh, with the Athena Swan Awards and so on, universities are now interested in following that path. Uh, I think there is a lot of work to do. And uh, the, 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 the main issue for women in science 
is maternity and job security. So in the mother, in, in the moment you have children, uh, as you know, you you you, you have a young daughter. Uh, everything becomes a very delicate uh, balance, and so it should not be left to the to the woman to have a supportive husband. You know, I mean that that's something that is a human rights thing as well. But I think that uh, universities, consulting companies, they should put the, uh, uh, mechanisms in place to help women um, come back to work after work. I agree 100%. Well, yeah, let's hope that we can keep keep pushing things forward. Yeah, and thank you yeah, for your contributions yeah. on that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I better let you go, but thank you so much for your time, Anna. It was uh, really interesting talking to you. Oh, thank you. And I uh, wish you all the best with your work. And um, I look forward to um, your FIRE Spanish Researchers event. 2019. Definitely. We'll give in that. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Science of the Local podcast, available on iTunes, soundcloud.com slash science of the local, and all good podcast providers. Science of the Local is not just a podcast, it's also a series of bi-monthly talks by expert and engaging scientists delivered in a cosy setting to the good folk of the Blue Mountains. To find out more, go to facebook.com slash science at the local. Science at the Local is run by me, Hamish Clark, and Kevin Joseph. We're supported by Springwood and Winmalee Neighbourhood Centres, and in 2017 by the Inspiring Australia program of the Australian Government. By listening to this podcast, you accept our end-user licence agreement. Science is real from the